Hello, welcome to Sportscast Podcast. This week's roundup will be slightly shorter than usual, as we've got some specials out. If you've not already seen them, we've got a Wimbledon pre-event and a Tour de France pre-event. Head over to our socials or our Spotify podcast channel to check out those. This week we'll be breaking down a very busy weekend in the Formula One from Austria, the British Masters in the Gulf, a recap on the MLB and MLS, as well as an in-depth analysis from Liam on the second Ashes test and the Tour de France. Kicking us off today, we will have a quick look at golf with the British Masters taking place at the uh, Belfry. You have three Englishmen at the joint lead at seven under with Wilson, Sullivan, Morrison and you've got Moella, Lutin, Migalozzi. And then you've got Justin Rose, two back, who Thursday, Friday, led the British Masters. He had a up and down Friday with dropping shots and, and gaining shots and really sort of will probably be kicking himself that he isn't in that sort of six-man, seven-under par at the top. But looking good and hitting a bit of form is Sullivan and Rose really going into the to the open late July. So we'll jump straight into the Formula One and what a busy weekend it was. It was, of course, the second sprint format of the season so far. And this weekend, it was brought to you from the Red Bull Ring in Austria. There's two noticeable events in the build-up to the Formula One weekend, the first of which is an army of orange flooding into Austria to support their home-ish hero, Max Verstappen. When we enter this stage of the Western European calendar, we seem to have a home race after home race for Max Verstappen with his travelling gaggle of fans. The second bit of good news, also orange comes in the form of a really promising upgrades for Lando Norris's McLaren. Unfortunately, the team did not have the time to upgrade the same upgrades to Piastri's car, but Lando's number four looks very promising this weekend. So the Red Bull ring is located in Spielberg in Austria and is the shortest circuit on the calendar with just 10 corners. Great overtaking opportunities with three DRS zones and an overall lap time of between 1 minute 7 and 1 minute 9. So, of course, with the sprint format, the qualifying for the actual race takes place on Friday, just after one single practice session. This weekend, track limits are going to be a huge factor, with the outsides of turn 8, 9 and 10 being very tempting to drivers to gain as much time as possible on this very short track. Notably, in Q2, Sergio Perez put his car on the first row of the grid in second position, but unfortunately, he had two lap time deletions, making him start from 15th position on Sunday. Overall, qualifying for the race would be Verstappen on pole position, Leclerc in second by just four one-hundredths of a second, and Sainz third place. Great result for Ferrari. Can they convert it into a win on Sunday? So moving forward to Saturday, 
On Saturday, there is a sprint qualifying, determining the starting grid for the sprint in the afternoon. The sprint qualifying result was Max Verstappen on pole, Perez with a return to form in second, and a really, really fantastic result for McLaren and Lando Norris in third. As the sprint kicked off in the afternoon, the weather was drizzly like rain, which saw all the cars start on intermediate tyres. And for me, it was probably the best 40 minutes of racing I have seen in a long time. If you haven't seen the highlights from the sprint session in Austria, I implore you to go and seek them out and watch them. It was fantastic, non-stop wheel-to-wheel racing throughout the entire session. The first lap saw a little bit of squabbling between the two Red Bull drivers, with Perez eventually losing a place to Hulkenberg. Unfortunately, the Haas just does not seem to have the race pace with overheating those rear tyres. It ended up going backwards throughout the session. However, he did set the fastest lap in the sprint and finish in sixth position, which gets a few points for Haas. Overall, it was a really, really entertaining sprint with battles throughout the field between Hulkenberg and Sainz, Hamilton and Magnussen, and a nine-lap long three-way fight between Esteban Ocon, Charles Leclerc, and Lando Norris. Again, I urge you to watch the highlights. It was fantastic. Overall, the sprint result from Saturday sees Max Verstappen take another win. Perez in second, Sainz taking the third step on the podium, followed by Stroll, Alonso, Hulkenberg, Ocon, and the last of the points goes to George Russell. So before we move on to the race on Sunday, unfortunately Saturday saw some very sad news coming out of Belgium and Spa in that Delano van Hoft found himself involved in a T-bone style collision in stark contrast to Anthony Hubert's collision a few years ago, just following Eau Rouge resulting in his tragic death. The racing world, as well as all at Sportscast Podcasts, send their most sincere condolences to his family and the team. There will be more discussion in the racing world and on this podcast around in the build-up to Spa and in the build-up to Belgium around the safety of the Eau Rouge corner. Do we trade off enjoyment and entertainment for the safety of of our drivers and the the drivers that we love to to see racing? More of this discussion will take place, but for now we mourn the loss of Delano van Hoft. Moving on to the race on Sunday, Max Verstappen started on pole, of course, and got away really, really well, fending off the scarlet Ferrari of Charles Leclerc. At the back of the pack, Yuki Tsunoda carried way too much speed into the first corner, knocking his front wing off on the back of one of the Alpine cars, and a few corners later caused him to fly into the gravel, bringing the safety car out. The marshals got that cleared nice and quickly, and racing resumed. Haas and Hulkenberg had an unfortunate retirement on lap 14, not not continuing their success from the sprint the day before with a critical mechanical failure. As the virtual safety car was brought out, Ferrari pitted and Max was on a slightly different strategy. Could this see another car other than Red Bull win a race this season? When Max Verstappen came in for hards, it was a Ferrari 1-2. This is the first time any other driver has led a Grand Prix since lap 48 of Miami. Again, could this be a Ferrari 1-2? 
could this be somebody other than Max Verstappen winning a race in 2023? No. Max Verstappen retook the lead on lap 35. Overall, a really great drive from Perez, which saw him fight back from 15th on the grid to 3rd, especially with signs around lap 55 to 65. The Ferraris did put up a really good fight all race. It was a really fantastic drive from Sergio Perez to fight back from 15th on the grid to 3rd, and especially a good battle between Sainz and him around laps 55 to 65. As previously said, track limits would be a huge factor in this weekend's racing and unfortunately in the race, a huge list of drivers obtained five-second time penalties. A couple of them were for unsafe release and impeding. But the five-second time penalties for track limits went to Hamilton, Sainz, Albon, Gasly, Sargent, Magnussen and Yuki Tsunoda managed to pick up two five-second time penalties for multiple breaches. Overall, a very entertaining Austrian Grand Prix. Max Verstappen picked up his seventh win of the season. Leclerc in second, picking up crucial points for Ferrari. And Perez finished in third. Then you have Sainz, Norris, Alonso, Hamilton, Russell, Gasly and Stroll all picking up points. That's now ten wins in a row for a very dominant Red Bull this season. Overall, the driver of the day went to Lando Norris, who put those upgrades to great use, finishing in fourth position. Fantastic weekend of racing in Austria. Next week, we travel to Great Britain for the Silverstone Grand Prix. Look forward to it. Over in the MLS... You've got Cincinnati leading the Eastern Conference with St. Louis leading the Western Conference. Bit a bit of talk this week around Lionel Messi's debut for Inter Miami, due for July twenty first. Bit a bit, a bit of paper talk regarding issues with paperwork, signing of the contract when he's leaving PSG. I think things like this always happen at this level. Just anything, just to create a headline. I think July 21st is when we can see him. Inter Miami currently are bottom of the Eastern Conference. Three points adrift of Toronto, eight, seven of Chicago. Haven't won in five. I think, will he come in and make the difference to sort of spearhead him? Not too sure. In other sort of team news, Minnesota have signed former Norwich City striker Timu Puki, who I thought was a fantastic championship player and you know he's he's not not been there for, for a long time. He's still been scoring goals recently, so that's a massive sign I think for the MLS to have someone of his calibre in there. With transfers, I think the big one is Exciting Chelsea youngster Levi Colwell, who I know Brighton have been trying to, to sign. He's he had a sort of good stint on loan there. Arsenal announced Havertz this week for a record salary. He's on £17 million a year. It's just over £300,000 a week for a player that went to Chelsea... 
got by. I wouldn't say he sort of spearheaded the team forward or did anything out of the ordinary for that that Chelsea team. But he has won titles whilst at uh, at Chelsea. Watford are favourites to take Jake Livermore. More Saudi Arabian disrupting football, however you want to look at it, with their signings. Look at taking a number of uh, Premier League players with them. Manchester United goalkeeper David De Gea, who's probably, you would argue, has been done a little bit dodgy with Manchester United around the contract situation. Not signing at their end so they can strong arm him into another salary drop. Leicester have announced... Harry Winks and Connor Cody this week as well. I think that's a good signing for Leicester. I thought Connor Cody would be a, a good Premier League centre defender. Man United have got Mason Mount. Hull City have signed Man City's young, highly talked about Liam Dillap on a season-long loan. Another player that could really come through and if he has a strong season in the Championship, why can't he next season be be at the front of that Manchester United line with Haaland? He's only 20 years old. He's He's been with Stoke. He's been with Preston. He's he's getting that game time. And as long as he keeps fit and he keeps, keeps playing, you can see him setting things alight. Tottenham announced James Madison as well, which I think would be their best... Wide player. I mean, Son isn't really a wide player. He gets put there quite a lot. But, you know, when you're talking Lucas Moura, Aaron Lennon, Christian Eriksen, I think Madison's going to be the best one since Eriksen. He's going to provide a lot there if they can keep hold of Kane. Kane apparently isn't asking to leave Tottenham. It's just if something comes in, I think it'll go down the line. See if Kane is still there at the start of next season. Nothing really in place at the minute. Let's see. We have also finished the first two stages of the Tour de France. The first stage saw Adam Yates take a final sprint against his twin brother, Simon Yates. Adam came out on top. Usual peloton back, no one really sort of anything too far ahead after day one. After day two across the Basque Country, Lafay has taken a stage win with about maybe sort of 10, 15 other riders with Van Aert second and the favourite Pogacar in third. Keeping everything a little bit close, two days in, not much really will happen next Sunday six stages deep we'll sort of get a bit more of an idea as to you know where there's a 30 40 second gap amongst sort of more of the the more senior riders the the people that sort of been there done that at the minute it's it's just a couple of people you know 10 15 not even that really seconds with a lead so we should start to see a bit more of a breakaway at the end of of the first week so we'll be able to report back on that in a little bit more depth next week
Also, this weekend saw the conclusion of the second test at Lords, with Australia taking a 2-0 lead in the series. I can't see a way back at the minute for England. The batting collapses just seem to be there. You know, sort of four or five wickets for not many runs. They sort of start well. Stokes today on day five gave him a fantastic hope with with hitting a 155. He got got caught by Carey. They've had they've not had the rub of the green. Bearstow today controversially given out. He sort of left his crease after a high ball. Carey threw the ball at the, the wickets. The, the arguments on both sides. The ball's not dead because the wicketkeeper didn't sort of break movement on the wicketkeeper's side but from a batter's point of view he's not tried to play the ball the ball's gone dead and he, he's marked his crease and off he's gone the bowling has been interesting throughout the throughout this test there's been a lot of high balls a lot of shots to the helmets a lot of bounces I think that's where England have come a little bit unstuck they, they've not really sort of played 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 it very well they've kind of not just left them they've, they've, they've tried to play them got caught you know, catching it high a little bit. I thought Australia having three, three hundred seventy odd to to win would have been more than enough. But going, you know, England have taken it tight for them, but again, not enough. You can make it as exciting end as, as as you want. You have to, you have to be stronger. You have to bat better. The bowling's not been too bad. The benefit we have. This time round with Lords, it was a better wicket, a lot of swing with the new ball, uh, making it very interesting. Going into the third third test at Headingley, I think, I think if if England can take some momentum and take the positives out of this, I think they can get a result at Headingley. I still can't see them winning the series. They've got to win the next three tests, with British summer impending. I don't think we'll see all five days across the next three tests. I think I think we'll see rain delays. Unfortunately, I think this has effectively cost them the, the series. Last but not least, we'll be boxing with... With Marshall winning at the weekend, become the undisputed super middleweight. She fought American Cruz Desern, quite dominant on the cards, 95-95, which a lot of people have called out, and 99-92 and 97-93. So always a bit dubious with boxing, with where some judges' scores come in. This week also, Gillian White's come out and bashed Anthony Joshua ahead of their fight in August with... Joshua's put in a rematch clause if he loses. A bit underhand, it wasn't initially discussed. Dillian White, his favourite really for, for Wilder, and has been for a number of years now, but with the Fury saga, he hasn't really had that chance to fight one of the... for you know for one of the belts. He's, he's always been there or thereabouts and not really had that chance to, to fight Wilder in America. Big payday, things like that. Joshua probably stunting his... Opportunity, Dillian White loses. He's probably not going to have the opportunity if he wins. He's got to go back to Joshua. It's not probably really where he wants to see himself going. Phil for Dillian White, I think he's been there or thereabouts. He, he, he wouldn't beat a Fury, wouldn't beat a Wilder probably, but uh, 
deserves that opportunity, I guess.